Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Mr. Konga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm annoyed at you, Moose, and that's what? Why are you annoyed, Ryan? You're in my bad books. Why am I in your bad books? Because you said you were ready to record and I started recording. You weren't ready to record. Ryan, you've always been quicker to the draw. Oh, d- I don't even know what that means, but I don't like it. <laughs> it's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, weas- I'm weaseling out. I'm weaseling it out through compliments and it's worked. Yeah, it's well. It's successful. Yeah. It's successful. Highly suspicious. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. I'm, I'm I'm living my best life. Are you wearing that like gigantic roll neck again? I am. No, I'm wearing, cause I've been a bit ill, so actually wearing it's quite good because we're around the house, a bit snug. So, yeah. You look very comfortable. I'm very cosy. Yeah. You're feeling all right though? Feeling a bit, you've been a bit sniffly the last few days, haven't you? Uh, yeah, just hit, like I said, sort of hit a wall. Um, it's quite a fast start of the year. Lots of work, lots of um, getting out and about. So, you know, sometimes your body just tells you, actually, you need to just calm down. Well, and it's wild. Body. It's, it's, it's wild how quickly, like, you get, you know, there's a bug going around. It's wild how quickly it gets on you. Mm. It's like, wow, like, you won't even, the speed at which it moves in. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was, if it was a flat, if it was a flatmate, you'd, like, come home from work and, like, all your stuff would have been moved, like moved out the fridge. You're like, oh, hang on a minute. Oh yeah, I'm the new bug. I've just come in and like rearranged all your my internal house furniture. You know when yeah, footballers always house. do that celebration? My house. It's like someone literally yeah, doing that in your house. <laughs> Enzo did it at Villa Park, right? We'll talk about this later. But can you imagine if you get home and like Enzo Fernandez is actually in your house doing that celebration? I was like, no, yeah. no, it's my house. <laughs> Go into the kitchen. Nicholas Jackson's got his fingers to his lips going, it's my kitchen, finger to his lips, it's mine. We're going to talk about Chelsea's win over yes. Villa a little bit later. But before we do, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, wherever you are. Mm. Um, Stadium newsletter. We said it was going to go out this week. It's going to go out next week. But that's yeah. because uh, we're waiting on something. So go to stadio.football, scroll to the bottom, pop your email address in. Uh, today we're going to round up some games from midweek. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Chelsea. Let's get to it after this. Let's do it. All right, man, shall we begin in Cote d'Ivoire? Yes. We have our AFCON final. Traditional, isn't it? Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire beating um, DRC 1-0. Second half goal from uh, Sebastian Allaire. The thing about this is interesting. It's always great to see elite strikers reproducing their goal-scoring form or at least their decisiveness in AFCON. It doesn't always happen. Like Vit Osimhen, he's not having a good year for... Napoli, and he's had a pretty bad tournament for Nigeria, it has to be said. He's also, has he, and he's just not goes, been fully fit though, right? No, but it's also not been fully, it's a mixture of like not being fully fit and also the intensity of AFCON. So if you turn up and you're not quite on it and everyone else is on it, it hurts you. Um, mm. Now, look, having said that, Victor Osimhen's teammates did just fine. They went through 14 penalties after one all draw after extra time against South Africa. Um, oh, who game were a bit of a surprise, bit of a surprise package and they, they went at them, South Africa. They really went at them. Uh, I think South Africa should have won. They had a chance to yes. win it in normal time, which Very was late. amazing that one chance. Slashed over the bar. That was yeah. the one, and you could see, you could see they knew. But they, they also knew. had a couple of chances in the first half that they just were just had really poor finishing. You know, they let. Yeah. They let I, I think. Yeah, I don't know. DRC as well. DRC, same well. thing. Same thing. They had a couple of ones where they yeah. were like, you could see. The thing about Afcon that's interesting is you can really see the altitude sickness of some of the finishing. Like in terms of seizing the moment, you can see that teams that like are historically 
by underdogs. Just some, 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 some of the, some of the, the finishing, particularly in the sort of um, Cote d'Ivoire DRC semi-final, you could see that like there was a difference in experience there for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think also there's, you see, you see in moments like that just the the, the sheer pressure. The pre- yeah, the pressure. Yeah, you can see it in some moments like that. But I mean, yeah. in, in I think Nigeria obviously superior to to South Africa in I think squad depth. Yeah. I think South Africa did really well actually to hold them. You know, it was only a penalty that gave Nigeria the lead. Yeah. Uh, and that was really unlucky actually. Like Williams kind of d- guessed right and dived over it. Yeah. Oh my God. It's such a strange penalty because it kind so of like weird. squirmed. It went under him, but also like curved into like, it curved perfectly into the angle of his dive. Mm. It's so strange. Like it was not a good penalty actually. It was not a good penalty earned no. by Osman who, you know, one of the things that he did that was really, you know, really very productive. And that was about the hour. And at that point, maybe you think, okay, they go ahead and they should proceed there. But so that could show signs of life, playing some pretty enterprising football. And there was a fearlessness actually in their play. I don't think they were, I don't think Nigeria were by any means complacent about this, this game. No, I mean, and I think there's, there's also a beauty. You can, you can play with a certain freedom when you're unfancied as South Africa were in this tie. And mm. look, we can say this for sure. The bragging rights will be unbelievable. Because mm. these are like, these are kind of the two, these are two of the big sort of continental heavyweights in terms of chat. And because there's so much going on, there's like, you know, let's be real, let's be reductive. It's Afrobeats versus Amapiano. Like there's like, there's all kinds of standoff here. And it's very rare that a game of this magnitude actually delivers, isn't it? Yeah. I, I love this game. I love both games. Actually, I thought they were good. There was a, there was a moment in there was a moment in the first half where I think uh, you could in the south in in the Nigeria South Africa game where I think you could mm. tell how the hit, how hot it was, mm. and the the game started quite intensely and then I think struggled to get into a bit of a rhythm. Play was patchy, uh, and I think you could just tell like it it was. I mean, I think it was like thirty six degrees in there or something. Do you know you haven't been degrees. for a run in a while and you start mm. off at a certain tempo? You know, you, you, like, you head out the door and you're like just jogging at a certain speed, just straight out the door. Then after about like five minutes, you're like, well, I set off at such a speed, but I, it's not sustainable, but I've started. So I have to kind of finish. Mm-hmm. And I think this game was like that, where the, the tempo and the intensity, people set off, but they haven't paced themselves. Understandably, like, you know, the pressure and all the rest of it, but it's really striking to see that kick in. And I think to, to, to look at the other semi as well, in the same context, like Cote d'Ivoire, the journey they've been on in this tournament, like flew out the gate, big win, then had a huge setback in the group stages. And they've been on a real emotional journey, but you saw that intensity again in the semi, like Frank Kessier again. This, actually, can I say this? What I love about Cote d'Ivoire is that their big players have really brought it. Have really brought it. Mm-hmm. Similar to, because I've, I've been thinking about this the other day, like there's clubs where, sorry, there, there are countries where the elite players don't bring the form from the club level. And if you look at the great sides like um, Senegal with Sadio Mane, you look at the great sides like uh, Samuel Eto'o, 2000s, Cameroon, early 2000s, that I think is something they can really say they've done reliably, Cote mm. d'Ivoire. They, they've stepped up in a way that others maybe haven't. I mean, look at Algeria, for example. Yeah. <sighs> By contrast, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the tournament they've had as well, um, they were out. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were. The country had already accepted that they were going out. 
Host um, nation. Jesus. And then all of a sudden, because of results elsewhere, they go through, they, they sack Gasset, go through because of poor results elsewhere. It takes them through yeah. as, as the best place, third finish. Can I be honest with you? There's three words, all or nothing. <laughs> that is what I have to see. That is the, the fly on the wall documentary of this. Is, is but can you imagine special. if Faig wins this? It's only unreal. It's unreal. It feels like this AFCON, it feels like the teams have had tournaments within tournaments. Mm. You know, like the, the journey that like Cote d'Ivoire have been on, like even South Africa, like they were unfancied. They were like people with a bit of a laughing stock, you know, early on, then got huge result, got through, then got to the semis all of a sudden. It was like, how the hell have they got there? Like it was, it's been, yeah, it's been a real tournament of, of narratives, I think. It's been, it's been an amazing tournament. So good. We need to shout out Sebastian Allo, by the way. Yeah. I know we mentioned him briefly before, but if you think of the 18 months he's had. Yes. And uh, he's not scored a lot this season domestically. Mm. Uh, he had a couple of chances in the first half, actually, which I think he should have done better with. And you could tell, yeah. he, he, could tell he was getting a bit frustrated. But I actually think his finish for the goal was quite smart and deliberate. I think he knows yes, that's it's a really measured, awkward yeah. angle and it's just like, get it on target, give the keeper something to think about and just guided it. And I think that your brain just intuitively decides to guide the ball in a certain way, which is really unconventional. It happens quite- There's a Van Bast- Yeah. There's do you know what I mean? Van Where Basten it's just like, goal. actually, yeah, I know yeah. that I'm just going to dangle a leg here and kind of let the yeah. ball like just bounce and go over the keeper. And I think it's going to work. And it's weird how sometimes that just comes off. That's completely that he right. Like, have, but he should have put away as well. When, when, I, when, I, when I saw, yeah, you're, you're completely right. The second chance was easier actually, but the, mm. the, the goal that he scores, the thing I love about it is, you're completely right. It's that controlled chaos of, I'm going to give you something really unpleasant to deal with. Yeah. You know, there's um, a thing that I, a friend was telling, actually a friend of the podcast, uh, Rio Verkor, photographer. Ah. He would talk about um, the way Messi would strike the ball. And he said, it's really interesting. Like it's something that people don't, he said, the way that professional football to strike the ball is something that, people don't give enough credit for. Mm. And the thing I think he was mentioning specifically was the goal that he gets against Van der Sar in the Champions League final. When Van der Sar gets a lot of criticism and then you look, see the, the way the ball speeds up off the turf mm. because Messi hits it with like a topspin. And making the ball bounce before the keeper is an art all of its own. Mm. Now Messi did it to a different level, but what Allaire does is he gives, he asks the keeper an extremely awkward question. Something like that, you're thinking, at the very least, the keeper has to tip that over the bar. You're making them work. And this is what I love about the art of striking. And Ale, actually, Ale scored like a gorgeous goal, I think, last AFCON. Um, mm. Which is why he's always, when people like are going, does Ale deserve the benefit of that for that? I'm like, well, this guy scores some really clever, unorthodox goals. It's actually he's, good, like, he's a good like, striker, man. He's a good striker. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a Giroud, actually. It's like a Giroud. Yeah. Like slyly, slyly clever technique for a player of, of that size. Very good link-up player as well. Yeah. I'm very hyped for this final. And uh, I imagine we will touch on this next week mm. when it happens. Um, quickly, two big upsets in the Asian Cup. <gasps> yes. Oh, do you know what? That was coming. Jordan beating South Korea. Wow. 2-0 the first. That's the, that's the biggest upset because they are like, South Korea way ahead of them. In, in the 60 rankings. odd places between them in the FIFA ranking. Jurgen Klinsmann, I think, has been getting away with a lot. A lot. If you look at like the margins for victory for South Korea in the, in the previous games, a team of a, quad, a squad of that quality should not have been winning by margins that small. 
No. And I felt there was, there was a sense that they were winning despite the quality of the coaching they were getting. And it caught up with them big time. And Klinsman was like really smart. Like he was very political artist. Yeah, I'm just going to like go and review the results and just check out what's happening and go back. And I was like, hang on a minute. You're just like, you're glossing over your role in the failure because Jordan mm-hmm. came at you and there was no response. He had no real reply for what they were giving South Korea. So yeah, they go out at a crucial stage tournament. I suppose at this point they were, I mean, not quite necessarily favorites, but certainly joint favorites at this point. And yeah, a massive, massive result for Jordan. Qatar go through against Iran as well. Iran, again, what, 30 odd places above Qatar in the rankings? Uh, down to 10 men as well. Wild. So yeah, two hosts through to the Asian Cup final and the yeah. AFCON final. Yes. Can I do a little bit of some roundy-uppy stuff? You want to talk about, yes, please talk about my favourite game of the, of the midweek. I'm sure you can guess what it is. Leverkusen Stuttgart. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. Stone Cold Classic. Leverkusen through to the, uh, was it the semi-final of the Pokal? Um, Semi, yeah. uh, Coming from behind to beat uh, beat Stuttgart 3-2 at home in uh, with a last minute winner from Jonathan Tarr. What a game of football. They have not lost a game since late May. (laughs) Unbeaten in all competitions this season and it's All competitions. And like, they are in, they're in the Europa League. The Europa League, like that is, there are demons. There are demons in that competition. I've got a hot take. It's actually the European AFCON. <laughs> because anyone that half steps gets cooked. Yeah. And big clubs. Because, you know, the reason I call it the European AFCON is because there are people that turn up in AFCON. They think they're too good for it. And they get served. And there are people in the Europa League. There are clubs that turn up in the Europa League. Yeah. Oh, we're too good for it. We're doing it. And they get absolutely hosed. Yep. Hosed. Those clubs that drop out from the Champions League into the Europa League and they're like, oh, no, no. And they get, they get got. It's delightful. It is delightful. <laughs> Incredible. I, I, yeah, yeah. What, what's that thing? What's that quote? I always mention it. It's the Sampaioli quote. 2018 World Cup when Sampaioli are playing, Argentina's playing against France. We're going to go out to play with a knife between our teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I love like really like totally unnecessarily overly dramatic like football chorus. So like Can you imagine like Mbappe and Pogba hearing that going, what? What have we done to deserve this? <laughs> uh, anyway, in Leverkusen, Jonathan Tarr with a 90th minute equaliser. But before that, Robert Andrik had scored an unbelievable equaliser. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, scored a, a really, really great equaliser, lovely curled shot into the far post after uh, Valdemar Anton had given Stuttgart the lead. However, less than 10 minutes later, Chris Furick gave Stuttgart the lead once more. Tidy finish. Uh, Amina Adli equalised less than 10 minutes after that. And then across to the back post, Jonathan Tarheader in the 90th minute. And uh, cue Incredible. absolute scenes. Two assists for Florian Vietz, by the way, who uh, looked like he was going to dance his way through earlier on in that game to score another wonder goal. What a player. It's all set up for the big one this weekend. Leverkusen by Munich. 5.30 UK time, 6.30 local on Saturday evening. Top Spiel de Vocker. Uh, I imagine we will be talking about this on Monday because this is absolutely pivotal in the Bundesliga title race. Yeah, um, yep. Two points the gap. Leverkusen 
it's a little bit more crucial that they win now than it was, obviously. With the drop if points, they, gives Gladbach. Mm, if they do win, my God, what a title running we've got. Because Leverkusen just don't, they seem to be getting over the line in games that even if they look a little bit under par or they look a little bit tired, uh, they've been so impressive this season. Like you said, that draw at Gladbach a couple of weeks ago felt like it might have taken the wind out of their sails a little bit, but it has not. Gladbach's game away at Zabrücken, by the way, was uh, postponed due to a waterlogged pitch, which is a shame. Everyone was there, ready to go, so all they did was just say goodbye to everyone as the f- ultras just lit a load of flares. You know what I love about that? They lit the flares, they're like, you know, we might as well just have something. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know what? We're on a day out, we may as well just light it up. Maybe we can dry the pitch out with our flares. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, great result for Leverkusen. Do you want to do first rounds of the Copa del Rey quick? Because there was... Uh, very some, quickly. Uh, sorry, first legs um, of the Copa del Rey, my bad. Yeah, so um, uh, so the big news is Athletic Club beating Atleti um, 1-0 away. Penalty of 25 minutes decided that. The first team to win at the Metropolitano in over a year. 28 that games beaten at home for Atleti. Do you know what's wild about that? Atleti, I can't remember them being that good at home because their overall form hasn't been spectacular. 26 wins, two draws, by the way. Unreal. Sid yeah, was tweeting unreal. about that. The gap between their home and away form is just ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. Berengueer's penalty after 25 minutes good was penalty. the only goal good of the game. Um, although Antoine Griezmann was lined up ready to take his own penalty late in the game, waiting for a little while before the ref got a VAR call saying, actually, there was no penalty because in, I'm going to sound mean here, Quite possibly the least surprising news of the week, Alvaro Morata was in an offside position. Oh, no. Oh. I think him and Ollie Watkins are in a run-in for the two most spiritually onside people around yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Because their yeah, runs are always so close. Like, he was so close to being, to timing that run perfect. And it was just like, you know, it's half his body or a shoulder. He wasn't like miles offside. There's an example of a player who would be incredible at Aston Villa. I think he would I think you I think he would be I think he would be because I'm not sure it's just that that's a bit less of the really good link up a bit less of the exp- of the wild expectation um, and just the style of play around him I think would be great I think he'd be really good there actually because Murata's always had there's always been that thing of being like a little bit overexposed and look at him now at Atleti no coincidence that he's been in some of the best form of his career now that the noise has died down a bit around him. Mm-hmm. Like a bit later in his career. In fact, this is, this is a piece I've been threatening to write for a while about late bloomers, inspired by the great Callum Jacobs, um, who was discussing actually Ross Barkley's amazing sort of run as a late bloomer. And I just think that someone like Murata is a little bit more of a late bloomer because there was, so much, there was almost like so much talk around him being the next great number nine mm-hmm. that I think it was too much. But being in a club or a sort of situation where that's kind of gone away a bit allows you just to play your football. And like watching him like this year for Atleti, he's just been a bit looser. You know, you saw, you saw hints of it for Spain, actually, in the Euros, mm-hmm. last Euros, but certainly like certainly now. Anyway. Funny you say that, actually, because I think I'd, I'd, I'd actually fancy Memphis Depay a little bit more at Pillar. Out of that athletic. Yeah, but Depay's De- plug and play though. Depay De- yeah, can plug into any, he's actually a good example of a player who, he's affected by his early career struggles. Yeah. Because after the early career struggles, if you see what he's done since then, he's been pretty much, he's turned up and 
pretty much anywhere you put him, any club, he's come in and had some kind of impact. Like even the Barcelona stuff, like he came in there and was just owning it. Mm. Uh, best thing about this game, yellow card for Diego Simeone. Yellow card for Nesto Valverde. <laughs> even baited Valverde okay. into a booking. <laughs> That's impressive. That is very impressive. Uh, second leg of that game is... I think there are I think there are three yeah 29th of February three weeks basically bef- between the first and second legs uh, nil nil in the other game between Mallorca and Real Sociedad there was a game in the Bundesliga Mainz's rearranged game with Union do you want to hear the <laughs> the times for these goals oh they're absurd they're absurd forty five plus eight forty five plus thirteen thirteen yeah goes the equalizer like these like I mean these are Qatar extra time figures mm. again a lot of water a lot of water in this game. A lot of rain. Better result, obviously, for Union than for Mainz, um, because that stalemate keeps Mainz at arm's length at the bottom of the table. Strange to see Gladbach lurking down there, actually. Um, a club that big at risk of going down is, is not great, but Union, I think, were a point above the relegation zone. Still in trouble, but I still, maybe I'm complacent, but I still think they've got enough to, to stay up. Three points ahead of Köln, who are in the uh, yeah. relegation playoff. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break. All right, man, it was FA Cup this week. Replays mm. on Tuesday night. Coventry beat Sheffield Wednesday 4-1 to go through to the next round. Leeds beating Plymouth away f- after extra time 4-1. And Southampton putting three past Watford to go through. Oh, they go, they go to Anfield. Last night, there was a Forest penalty win over Bristol City and Chelsea's 3-1 win over Villa off the back of 4-1 defeats away to Liverpool 4-2 defeat at home to Wolves struggling league form 11th place to then go to somewhere like Villa Park who had a pretty much a full strength side Villa right and whose home form let's also remember Villa's home form this year has been magnificent formidable all the rest of it to go there and do that, really aggressive, really proactive, took the lead very early through Conor Gallagher and just dominated. Nicholas Jackson followed up with a second and then night. Enzo Fernandez's free kick made it 3-0 was against Emmy Martinez of all players. I know that was, yeah, a guy that he won the World Cup with, but also would have particular joy in scoring against because you know how good a player that is. You know, one you of the know, shots um, in the world. But that yeah. sounding like too much of an absolute dork. You know, uh, net depth is something that I, I, I pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, I think I, I find it interesting how synonymous the depth of a net can become with a certain ground. This is where Villa's deep nets really, really come, come to through. their own. High camera yeah. angle, deep nets, great for free kicks. So cathartic, isn't it? Just so cathartic. Let that ball keep going as far as it can go. Like, make them longer. Because, make them deep. Because it, ma- it makes the keeper look like they've been beaten even worse than they have been. Yeah. Because you see the ball disappear for yeah. like hours after it's passed their hand before it touches the net. Yeah. So good. <sighs> Just a sensational free kick. Cabo Cup final. That's already a big deal for them. Mm. They know the league has gone. Um, they know that it's not a coherent um, squad. There's not a coherent philosophy. But they're kind of on a bit of an adventure, this group of players. And if they can do that in a cup, there is a kind of old school magic. To be honest, I just love to see 
Premier League clubs are taking the FA Cup that seriously. Me too. Actually, yeah. you know what I mean? If you think about, so then what have you done? You've gone away on the road after two horrible results back to back. Horrible. So you're unfancied. You get to Villa Park. Everyone's expecting you to get cooked. You know, quite realistically, another four goal rubbing. If it had been 4 1 Villa, you'd have been like totally. That would have been the most happening. expected thing would have happened. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then instead they go there and they go after Villa. They basically do to Villa what Villa been doing to everyone else all year. And they come in with that wind. Mm. That's remarkable. Then you're thinking, you know what? We could end up a really bad season with two cups. <laughs> we could end a really, really Wild, bad. Huh? That, that would be the most Chelsea thing ever to have a horrible, horrible time in the league, but to have the kind of resilience and the team spirit to go on that journey. And I think this bonding experience for this, these young players in particular is just incredible, actually. I think this is why I think this win was really important for Chelsea. And it might not mean Huge. anything in the great scheme of things. Like it might, I'm not, for example, saying that they're going to, um, you know, like, what am I trying to say here? Yeah, I'm not, not saying, saying that, for example, they're going to go on like a five-game winning streak in the, you know, or go and yeah. beat Man City the, uh, the week after next in mm. um, at, at the Etihad or anything like that. But I think Poch said something after the game, which I thought was really interesting. It's just he he was ba- he was basically saying like, it doesn't matter if I believe in you, you like you need to believe it. Mm. And I think what's happened this season, um, and I think to be fair, it's something that we've talked about quite a lot where. You know, Pochettino isn't picking the transfer strategy, right? Mm. And you've just been given a load of players who have all arrived at the same time, who have all played under different systems and different managers. And a lot of them are super young. What Chelsea have got, I think they're the third youngest um, third average, according to Opta, third average, third youngest average starting eleven mm. in the Premier League, and I think what's happened here is that when you've had senior players who are still quite young, like Ben Chilwell, uh, Rhys James, I, I kind of want to say Conor Gallagher, but I don't. I think because he's only really been back at Chelsea regularly for that year, mm. yeah, I don't think he's quite there yet. I feel like. And Raheem Sterling, I think, even though he's a senior player and with loads of experience, he's not really like a, a legendary Chelsea player, right? Mm, no. There seems to, I think, I think a load of things happened with Chelsea this season, which is really easy to poke fun at. And yeah, there's been a lot of ridiculous stuff happened that we have talked about. Like, I think the transfer mm. strategy has been really Hat bizarre. Hazard. Let's be bizarre. real. Yeah. Bizarre mm. and borderline, not really even football. I think honest. it's been irresponsible to the players. It's not made things very easy for Chelsea Football Club as a whole, mm. put it that way. Which a lot of people will just be like, well, so what? But I think if, if you, we're stripping this down to just what's happening on the pitch. Sorry for the monologue, I'll pass it over in a sec. But, um, yeah, go for it, go for it, go for it. But I feel Pochettino is a really, really good coach. And I think he struggled at PSG because I think PSG is a very specific type of club. Mm. And it was a very specific time at that club. Yes. You know, they had that two-year messy window, which was just a bit like, yeah. coming to Chelsea, I think it's it's another really difficult job. Yeah. And I kind of sympathise with him in one sense in that there was a lot to do straight away. And I think you have to stick with him and make it a process because otherwise you're just never going to really achieve anything at all, let alone right. success. What this game was really encouraging for in this really roundabout way that I've talked about 
there are some good players in that squad. Mm. And it's been really hard to get them to gel in a way. And I think what this shows is what Chelsea can achieve when everyone kind of pulls together in, in a tactical sense. Because they were, and I think Pochettino even said this, like they just seem to be closer together all over the pitch. They seem mm. to be knowing where everyone else was, moving together, moving as a unit in an attacking sense and a defensive sense. And mm. with an energy that I think has been lacking quite a lot this season, because I, und- I, I can imagine that it's been quite disorientating to, to move to Chelsea all of a sudden and be like, well, what the hell? I think one thing as well, you know, this is just, um, what's the word, kind of like aesthetics or like eye test stuff, but Chelsea have been playing probably better than I think maybe results have suggested or, or maybe not playing better, but they're underperforming their non-penalty, well, XG obviously, but they're also their non-penalty XG. Yeah. I think maybe like snatching at chances is uh, is probably caused by this lack of cohesion. No, no, I think that's absolutely right. I think it's just ironic. Not, not, I don't mean to just have a dig at Pochettino. Obviously when he was at Spurs, the league was was the absolute priority and he was someone who didn't really early on put that much stock in the cups. Obviously the Champions League final run was an example of him going actually, and this to, Poch, to Poch's credit, I think he always prioritizes the team's strength. Mm. So Spurs, the team's strength was, this team actually was better in the early stages at, the league was its main focus. Then as they struggled in the league, he was like, look, let's just get a cup run together. And he, he's proven he can do that really, really well. And I think he has identified the cups as the quickest way for his team to bond. Because I think he's still working out what his players' cap- capabilities are from week to week. And the talk about, when he talked about, you know, sometimes when you hear managers talk about players struggling and he talked about the youth and the difficulty of stringing together outstanding performances week in, week out, he didn't sound like he was making excuses. This was the crucial thing. He sounded like someone genuinely who would look at his squad and think, I know these players are excellent. I just don't know what I'm going to get from week to week from them. I yeah, don't you're know. you're not like, though, are you? Because no, you're, no, well, you, well, you've got no, like, I mean, like we mentioned that, before, then, you have such yeah. a huge turnover. You're going to get inconsistencies with players who have moved from Villarreal and 22 years old, right? Totally, which is why Cole Palmer's been so impressive because I think he looks at certain footballers and you can see there is a kind of vague spine to the Chelsea team, which is Enzo, Cole Palmer, Conor Gallagher, um, and then maybe like a Desassi at centre-back or Badashile in terms of quality. Like, you know, you, or, and at Chilwell too. There are just certain players who you know, and obviously if Rhys James, bless him, if his body wasn't always so, you know, brutal towards him in terms of injuries. But I think he's got that kind of core, um, Pochettino, and he's like, I've got a core of like four or five players and everyone else can kind of rotate around that. So you, you can already see that he's got this base. And I hope that he gets, look, I just hope that they don't get trigger happy at Chelsea and get rid. Because, look, I'm not saying that, um, I'm not saying Poch has done a perfect job, but I don't no, he know. Hasn't. I mean, he hasn't. No. But if you, put in a, if you put in a ton of coaches there, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much better a lot of coaches do than Poch in that situation. You know, with, given his ability to improve players, and we, we've seen before previous clubs, I don't know, Ryan, who does a vastly better job than Poch. I mean, I don't think in, in that, I don't in think that, many in that, people in that situation. Do. No. If you think of like their stand-up performances, they motivate themselves 
for fixtures this year on the calendar, and this is maybe a bit of a criticism, maybe it is, but they're good at getting up for big games, which is mm. why they're so suited as a team to cup runs. Now, we've seen actually in the arc of teams that mature, I mean, like early Manchester United, like, you know, 1990s, going on those cup runs because they couldn't get it together in the league. And I think maybe there's an element with Chelsea now. Look, they, these players are under contract for a long time, mm. but there's a hell of a lot of quality there. You know, you're, I, mean, it's, I mean, these are ridiculous contracts, like seven, eight years. So these players won't all be there for that length of time. But you do have the continuity to coach something quite exciting out of that. It's a mess. Don't get me wrong. It's a total mess. It's what, a billion, it was like a billion euros, a billion mm. pounds or whatever, um, which is horrible. Let's just sort of be clear that that's a, an unbelievable amount of money to spend on a squad of football players. But there's also, there's also the part of me that roots for young players on whom so much money has been spent because the pressure that brings like on a Caicedo where the pressure is almost visible of that price tag. The players don't pick the transfer fees. This is it. This is and, it. And I think this is the, we've talked about this quite a lot, how the irresponsibility of some football clubs in certain situations for signing certain players, that's, I mean, maybe that's us just trying to be too fucking woke. I don't know. No, I, but, think, um, I think it's fair. No, we have to, look, we have to stand on that. Like, I think it's... But the pressure that's, that goes on those players when, I mean, this is what I think, not making it an Arsenal thing, obviously, but this is what makes Declan Rice's performances this season so impressive, is that yeah. no one has mentioned that. Be. It's unreal, yeah, like, yeah. not once, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, I mean, Unbelie- obviously, probably once. But, like, you see it with Chelsea all the time because of the dysfunction. But, however, from a po- let's talk about this game. I think the cool thing about this game was that you saw what happens when that midfield clicks. Mm. When that midfield clicks, everything clicks around them. And yeah, totally. Pochettino said it was, the, the, I think, the best night of his season so far. Best performance of the season, maybe. Mm. And uh, he was calling for patience and he was calling for about that mentality. And I think this is what I've made Chelsea so complex this season in the fact that like you can kind of see where this could go, but then mm. they'll just go and put in some of the worst performances you've seen of a, of a side who have been assembled for that amount of money. Totally, yeah, yeah. This is why the Cups are so important for Pochettino because he is the one on borrowed time. Those players are going to be there for seven, eight years so he is in a position where he's got to be like, I've got to show them I can turn them to a winning group or a winning unit. It's so important for him. If he wins one or two cups with them this season, then they can look at it and be like, yeah, Poch is the guy for the next four years or whatever. That's huge for him, actually. For him to prove that he can turn them into a winning unit. And you look at, look at the patients that a cup buys. Actually, that's nonsense because they sacked Tuchel a year later. So, <laughs> no, but anyway, like, but it should, it should. It, it should at least buy patience with the players, is what I'm saying. And I think Poch has, I think Poch has clocked that, actually. I, think I mean, this right is, this, like you say, this is a very different side to the side that won the Champions League, right? Yeah. The side that won the Champions League was, or the club that won the Champions League, so still the Abramovich era, still that old um, setup and administration. Starting 11 is almost unrecognisable. I mean, it is unrecognisable, right? Three Apart years, maybe like, occasionally Thiago Silva and Chilwell. Chilwell, Chilwell, yeah. But from, from that team, Chilwell's the only starter. The weird thing is that Chelsea fans were calling, you know, singing Abramovich's name and also, call, I've seen a lot of people calling for Mourinho to come back, which is, I don't know, man. I think that this is, this is what's interesting about 
you know, like what Poch said about this isn't the Chelsea of 20 years ago. No. I think maybe one part of the problem this season is because so much of this change has happened so quickly, mm. a Chelsea kind of in an identity crisis. I think that's kind of what it is because it's, there, there, there aren't the senior players really, apart from Thiago Silva, and, and like the, the ones that we've mentioned, but there isn't that, for example, like, say for example, if you still had Thiago Silva and, um, you know, Rudiger still there, I think Jorginho at Chelsea still in that midfield with that help, I think would be such a major asset. And oh God, without question, without question. This is where the strategy is a little bit, well, not a little bit, I imagine from a Chelsea view, point of view, really frustrating and that keeping two or three extra players through that core would have saved you money in transfer fees anyway, because you wouldn't have needed to have bought so many players. I think also the intangible aspect of that and the knock-on they would have had from, had from a mentality and a chemistry point of view I think was, would have been massive. Look what they lost. They lost Georgina and Aspilicueta. Like, yeah, obviously it's got a bit a of a bit, but in yeah. terms of you're losing the institutional memory and the identity, and it's, you know, it's really funny you mentioned identity crisis, and it's actually a really original phrase to use because we talk about Chelsea and we see them win with so many different guises of player and different lineups, and we see them do that through the years. They've regenerated faster than almost any other title-winning team. You look at like the teams that were, you know, Chelsea from like, you know, even the first era of Mourinho and the second era, the gap between those two was huge. Mm. You look at the Eden Hazard era, like all of that, like compared to, and then Diego Costa coming in. Chelsea have won in so many different styles, but there has been at the core something about, there has been an emphasis on the academy, right? And I'm not, yeah. I know Conor Gallagher's there, but the, it felt like the sale of Mason of people, Mount. But they still had a lot of people come through as, a, as graduates last they, season. Like, they, did, or, or I, I, they start, a lot of graduates started, you know what I mean? I think, yeah, Mason I feel Mount like, going. Levi just, Colbert, Levi, yeah. that, the, the Mason Mount going, do you know what I've got to say? I know they've got academy players who are still thriving there, but something about the sale of Mason Mount felt like, I don't think that a Chelsea, yeah, I, don't feel, I don't feel like Chelsea at full strength make that choice. I think they find a way to make Mason Mount stay and incorporate him and make him brilliant and he becomes the centre. It just feels like the, the Chelsea of the previous ownership find a way to make him integral to their plans. Mm -hmm. And his loss, some might say, oh, well, you know, good riddance. I actually disagree. I think that you need to have those players that embody the club. Whether they've come through the academy or whether they've been brought in from overseas, and what Chelsea did, I think they got rid of too many players that embodied what Chelsea was about. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like um, if an office somewhere fires a load of people, mm. there's only one person there who's been there longer than like three or four, like three years. Yeah. Or, or a year even. And actually everyone's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it is technically the same, but it feels so different. It happens all the time in other, like, <laughs> other walks of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why wouldn't it happen in a football sense? I think that... Totally. You know, if you get a load of... Run, I mean, I understand. I think what I'm trying to say is like, this sounds weirdly like I'm kind of arguing Chelsea's case here. I think my point is that like, even with a lot of the ridiculousness and a lot of stuff like that, I think that... But in terms of an actual experiment, it is unlike anything we've seen before. And what happens if it works? Well, there's, and, it, and it can work because look, let's not forget that Liverpool wanted to make Caicedo the centre of the future of their midfield. 
What an incredible accolade that was. The amount of money they were, they were going to spend a British record. And the deal basically was like, you know, it was being reported by very respectable sources as done in Liverpool's favour. Mm-hmm. Liverpool were going to make Caicedo the main man in the midfield or the base of it. That is, there's no higher praise than that. Klopp was basically like, maybe already knowing I'll be gone quite soon. I'll put that midfield in safe hands. That is extraordinary as a vote of confidence. And you've got Caicedo alongside one of the best young defence midfielders in world football, in Enzo Fernandez. That is, an, if they can get that working, they can get that axis really, really firing. That is a terrifying prospect. Mm. And they've got plenty of time to make that work. Plenty of time. Cole Palmer up ahead, who is ahead of schedule, I would say, in terms of his um, profile and his, you know, his breakthrough. He's ahead of schedule. They can make this work, Ryan. Like, to draw a basketball analogy, you look at like the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. People were laughing when they brought James Harden in. They were laughing. And the first couple of games were like terrible. They were a mess. And now they're currently on form, the best team in the NBA. They've made all those different pieces work. Certain players have made sacrifices. Other players have stepped up. Other players have like got their fitness in order like for the first time in years and they're like fully fit. They're firing. The Ch- Chelsea could be like the Clippers where everyone gets their jokes off for a few months and maybe even for a year and then it clicks and it's like, hey, suddenly they're scary. The scary thing about Chelsea being like the Clippers is it mean, because you've got like your, if you get your core really, really good, if you get like, let's say, Nkunku scoring regularly as well, which I think he's got every chance to do, you then allow the kind of players like Mudrick, the focus goes off them a bit and they can play with a bit more freedom. And then Mudrick can basically become what I think, which he can basically become what I think Poch wants for him, which is controlled chaos. I think that Poch basically wants Chelsea to become such a team that you've got that core and then your supporting cast, the pressure's off them and they can just come in and play with freedom. And that, that's a dangerous prospect. I, I mean, it is in theory. Possible. Yeah. I mean, I think like I'd, I'd echo, like Poch said something which I think was quite, Poch said something which I thought was quite interesting where he was talking about believing. He was like, I believe mm. in this. And I think that's really important because if he, if he does, and he's not just kind of saying it, he's the person on the inside who sees all those players in training daily, right? Yeah. He's also the person who is in communication with the club's ownership. Mm. I think, in theory, there is enough talent in that squad that if they have time and they get results like this a little bit more this season, a few more. This is what echoing what you said. I think this is why this cup run is potentially really important. Is that I think when you have a we talked, what did you talk about institutional memory? That was the thing that was yes, the yes, yes, used. yes. That's yeah. so important because I think when you lose all of that from a club or or most of it, um you kind of forget what those moments feel like. It's impossible for, it's impossible for that to, you, you replace all of those players with completely new players who are all quite young. Mm. This is their big move, right? And they all do that at the same time and they don't know what that, those moments feel like, really. You know, even with this Enzo, is why who Thiago won the World Silva Cup, is so right? important. 
Yeah. Thiago Silva is really important. Ben Chilwell is really important. Reese James is really important. Jorginho would have been really important. Mason Mount would have been really important. Mm. Whether like you believe they were at the level or not, Aspilicueta really important. Again, like Tony Rudiger, I know he wanted to leave and he was gone, but like still, there's a huge amount of people who remember what it's like winning for Chelsea. Mm. And this new group of players need to learn how to do that. And because there's there's so many of them, because <laughs> there are so many of them, it's going to take a lot longer. I'm not entirely sure that they will qualify for Europe this year unless they go do it through the Cups. But as we're seeing now with the Premier League, you can't just walk into the top four, you know? Um, it's, it's, it's scary how in the Premier League, the top four has expanded in that, in terms of, yeah, I mean, well, I mean but in terms of who, in terms of candidates that enter the top four now. Yeah, I mean, we said we kind of joke about this all the time, right? Just seven into four doesn't go. Yeah, um, I mean, it might end up being five, which would Villa be great pushing for the themselves into the mix like that. Villa just yeah. stepping up into the mix. Jeez. Because as soon as someone like drops the ball or mm. has a poor season, that's why Newcastle got in last season. That was way ahead of schedule for Newcastle. But you know, a couple of teams fall off, and then all of a sudden, there's a space opens up. Listen, I think the main thing from Chelsea's point of view is patience. And it's a really boring thing in football, being patient. Mm. Um, it's the most important component around that football club at the moment. It's time. Mm. And if fans, players and ownership are all prepared to wait a little while, this might get good. But a major problem is, is that if it doesn't get good, then what? And that's completely fair, dude. That's I think are we being fair. too kind to Chelsea here? Well, no, because I think that the criticisms of them and the spending are well known. But I think we've taken fault. the player pers- yeah. we've taken yeah. a player perspective, and I think that's important. Like at the end of the day, at the heart of this all is players trying to develop their careers who've been brought up or sort of been brought through with I think too much expectation. They will always have sympathy for people in that position. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like Poch. I like him. And I think yeah. in terms of, you know, I, I love what he can do with his squad. I love how he improves players. I really like what he's done with people like Cole Palmer, for example. I like Enzo Fernandez. I think he's got guts. So I want to see what they can build from that perspective. I mean, you know, I don't have great love for the executive business. I don't have great love for how they conducted themselves off the field in terms of some of the transfer elements. But but in terms of a group of players, I, I kind of, I kind of root for them. Maybe that's too woke. I don't know. But so what? It's all you're getting. Oh <laughs> uh, dear. All right, we'll leave it there for today. I think. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Very much looking forward to the weekend. Yes, and, yes. Uh, therefore, very much looking forward to Stadio on Monday. Playing out on. Hold your horses. No, because I want to. I want to talk about this song. I like it so much. Oh, really? Okay, right. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, don't forget to check the Stanley Outros place on Spotify. We only need like 20 odd more, if you, uh, 20 more, 20 odd more likes on that playlist, I think, to hit 4,000, which is just. Oh, my God. Wow. Cool. That's incredible. Yeah. That's more people than actually like the podcast. <laughs> uh, playing out on a track called If You Love Me by the Style Band. Because you sent this through and I was looking at this unbelievable tune and I'm thinking, great intro. What else have they done? And that's the only. Nothing. <laughs> And isn't isn't that Literally extraordinary? Nothing. You know, there's like funk compilations you get and it's like, they're like, that's the one tune you're like, my God, this band could have taken over the world. Yep. It's an unbelievable tune, yeah? Yeah, this Unreal. was their only release on a seven inch single in 1980. Something quite sad about that, isn't it? In a way, isn't it quite a sort of mystery? 
So I'm going to leave you with If You Love Me by the Style Band. We'll be back on Monday. Anything you'd like to add, Musok Wonga? Nothing further. All right, everyone, much love. Have a lovely weekend. We'll see you Monday. See you then. I thought